When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, buddy. Today on Basic, Polly Shore. Well, it was at the beginning of 12th grade. The teachers were passing back the SAT papers, you know, which is this college pamphlet. And I just knew then, like, shit, now life's going to get serious and I got to figure this out. My friends would call me the weasel. And then I always said, well, if a weasel could make a noise, what would the weasel noise sound like? And I'll be on. You know, I came up with that noise. And then I, I think the first word that I paused was major. So for instance, like I say, check out the video, it's gonna be major. And then from there, I just started pausing in between grindage body. And I just started, and it just was this cadence that I created, I think, on the air. It, was, it, didn't, it wasn't manufactured. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and I'm going to try not to get Jen too edged today. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic at Vulture and New York Magazine. And I'm not the weasel, but I have always aspired to be. In a time before TRL and MTV's turn to reality television, there was a show called Totally Pauly which was MTV's afternoon comedian VJ who caught the imagination of MTV's after-school audience in a big way. The Wii seemed to come out of nowhere and became a huge MTV star, later going on to star in five feature films. No one who lived through the 90s could possibly forget Pauly Shore. Nope, not at all. He was truly iconic in his own way, and he's still around today touring the country, and I'm sure he's still chilling and grinding. So stay tuned for our conversation with the Wheeze and hang around after as Jen and I get totally poly. Well, we are very, very excited to welcome Polly Shore to the Basic Podcast. Welcome, Polly. Basic meaning like I'm fucking basic, or is it no. basic? Basic cable. Basic cable, dude. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) This is the basic. Everyone's fucking basic on here. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you for. No, thank you for having me. You know, anytime, you know, Doug Herzog reaches out, whether it's for uh, a new liver or, you know, some sort of, (laughs) you know, some sort of blood transfusion or uh, to be (laughs) to be on his show. Of course, I I come. Doug, Doug is uh, my he's my brother. So. He asked you for a liver too. God damn it! Unbelievable. Yeah. And some money. It's all. <laughs> it's all those. Uh, it's all those MTV uh, parties that we had for many years. What a fucking. What a run we had, huh? That was a good time. We'll get to that. What a fucking run. But Jen, Jen's got our first question for you. Yeah, we have a question that we traditionally ask first of all of our guests, which is, do you remember when you first got or saw cable television? The first time I got or saw cable tell, I mean, I guess it was, I guess it was CNN, right? Was that, were they the mm. first ones that kind of. One of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was probably, it was probably CNN. It was, uh, it was Jane Fonda's dude. What's his name? Ted Koppel. Ted Turner. Ted, Ted Turner. Turner. Ted, Ted Turner. 
and uh uh yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty awesome i mean it was uh you know they were they were uh you know they were had different reporters all over the world i remember like they were tear down this wall you know you had ronald reagan <laughs> and they had all that and then you know it was it was cool i mean i love dan rather and i love uh all those guys that used to be on there and it was pretty yeah it was pretty cool i remember and then you know yeah, of course it was. Uh, what, what was the over under on the answer to that question being CNN versus MTV, Jen? What do you think? I don't know. I, I, I I'm think surprised CNN by... was first, right? They were. They definitely were. They first. were first. Yeah. They yeah. So were that's, first. Yeah. that makes sense. There you go. In uh, yeah, so CNN, CNN was it was it was cool. You know, it was. Uh, I used to watch with my mom a lot. You know, the late great well, Mitzi Shore. The, the late. So wait, wait. So speaking of your mom, you yeah. grew up in a in a in los angeles in a real showbiz family right your dad was a stand-up comedian your mom was the late very great missy shore who ultimately owned and ran the comedy store um to great great success launching all kinds of stars i have a great photo of me you and her in the uh hallway right behind the original room it's pretty uh, awesome i would love to see that i remember going up to her office to see her it was cool you know it was cool it was like we were all hanging out yeah she loved you so much. So um, was there ever any question, given all that, that you weren't going to go on the showbiz? Well, I mean, you were there when I first started. So, I mean, you gave me my first break. So I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, I was in awe of the comedians. I would follow them around, you know, when George Carlin was there or, or fucking Red Fox was there back in the 70s or Lenny Schultz. You know, a lot of these kind of these guys would run, would run around. I was, you know, I saw, you know, Gallagher just passed away. Never underestimate the appeal of a man smashing watermelons. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was there and it was just, I don't know, my brothers and my sister didn't get into it. They weren't really, you know, uh, in awe of the comedians, like a comic, you know, when Robin and all these people would come in, I would just, I would follow them around like a little, like a little baby, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you so, remember, were there specific things like either advice they gave you or just things you picked up on from watching them that you kind of tried to model your your own approach? Yeah, I always I always watched. I remember watching Richard Pryor a lot and I remember watching Sam Kennison a lot. And the thing that I really took from them that I um, that I learned from them is to kind of I don't want to say kill the audience with kindness. They would always because those two guys, especially as you remember, they were very um, blue, they were very mm -hmm. raunchy, and they'd kind of be very dirty, but there was something so vulnerable and likable and sweet about them once they hit the stage. You never kind of knew, and immediately you loved them. So that was kind of like the one thing that I really learned from them is to kind of kill them with kindness and kind of get into them first before you start smashing them with your jokes. Mm -hmm. So Sam... So Sam he was kind of a mentor to you, right? You were really, yeah. uh, so, so and, and, and to hear, you know, I think at least of people who didn't know Sam Kinison, which is probably most of the listening audience to hear the word kindness associated with Sam Kinison is, mm. is probably not something that, you know, people would draw a straight line between. So <laughs> I think the words, what was it, what was it about Sam that drew you to him? And also like that kind of kept him, you know, interested in you. He was very likable. So when I say kindness, I, I think the word's called likable. So yeah. he was very likable on stage. So so when he hit the stage, there was something that was very kind of endearing. And mm -hmm. 
but it was sinister too. And then he would kind of come out with the screaming and all that after. But I don't know. I mean, even if you watch his first Letterman, he came out on stage, you know, there was a smirk about him. There was this, he was charming. But man, when he got going, it was like, get out of the way. Yeah. Once he got going, then, that, then, then that's another, that's, that, that's another thing. But, um, I don't know. I mean, then I loved Robin. Robin Williams is kind of his ability to improvise, which was just fucking remarkable because he would, you know, I remember the uh, mom's, what was it like? I think the 15th comedy store anniversary at the Universal Amphitheater. And I remember Robin Williams just going on stage and pretty much improvising his whole act in front of, you know, 6,000 people. Right. Mm-hmm. He, Cause he came from that kind of that improv background. So all these different guys were just so remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And Robin had, he wasn't always yelling the same way that Sam was, but they, but he definitely had super high energy crazy, and just such a, such a very fast brain and also a very kind person from, Mm. from everything I understand. Yeah. So what, what was the moment where you decided, okay, I'm actually going to try to get up on stage and and do this. What was the turning point? Well, it was at the beginning of 12th grade. Uh Um, The teachers were passing back the SAT papers, um, (laughs) you know, which is the scholarship college pamphlet and i just knew then like shit now life's gonna get serious and i gotta figure this out so that was kind of when i decided it was at the beginning of 12th grade to start doing um my stand-up i was just thinking on this now like at that point in your life you're a 12 you know you're a 12th grader you're a young you're a kid basically yeah i'm 17 yeah and you're and you're watching for most of your young adult life you're watching the greatest stand-up comedians of a generation on stage every night at the club and, and sometimes hanging around your house Right. And you decide, I want to do that too. Was that the bar for you? You're like, I want to be Richard Pryor one day. I want to be Robin Williams one day. I want to be. I don't know. I definitely, Doug, I definitely had a lot of extra pressure being Mitzi's kid Mm -hmm. because, you know, she was two people to me. She was my mom. You know, you want to please your mom and then you want to kind of get by Mitzi Shore. So it was like (laughs) a double, you know, it's a double whammy. So as far as the bar is concerned, I don't know. Comedy isn't something you choose. It chooses or yeah, you, it chooses you. So, you know, as a kid, you know, I was always I don't want to say funny, but I was always fucking around and I was always goofing off. So, you know, yes, it definitely helped that I was around it, but it was it's inside of me. I mean, here I am to this day. I'm 54 and I'm still doing shit, you know, just like it was just like it was my first. Right. I think someone said to me, I'm going to be like George Burns, where I'm going to to die with a microphone in my hand at 98 or some shit. Like, I just love it. And I think that's the key. You know, people always ask me about the business and I'm like, yo, it's got to get you out of bed. You can't be motivated by the money. Even when we worked for MTV, it was such an exciting time for me because I think I got paid 1200 a week. I think it was uh, five days. You got paid in other ways. What does that mean? <laughs> Nobody had more fun on MTV no. than Paulie Shore. He yeah. he had the full MTV experience. And we'll get we'll get to that. But but mm. before we leave, before we leave uh your early years, what did mom think when you told her, like, hey, I want to do this? Any kid that wants to do something that their parents don't want them to do, there's an immediate kind of rub. So with me and mom, when I first started, she wanted me in college. She like didn't care if I did it, but she was nervous and so i had extra i had a gun on my head regarding like oh i gotta do this fucking quick Mm. because like if i if i'm if i embarrass her it is a blessing and a curse you know the mtv thing 
because my career was actually on 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 a way on the way to just acting. I was acting a lot after after high school, way before MTV. I would get dramatic roles on this and that, and then MTV came and that just took off. And then from there, that's when Jeffrey Katzenberg got a hold of me, and that's when I did my movies in the '90s. All of those films. So if it wasn't for MTV, I wouldn't be doing all those movies. But you never know. I could have won an Oscar. You know what I mean? Because I was just ask, acting. But right. I became known as this situation, you know, which is where we're at. I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned that you were you were getting some acting roles before MTV came along. At that point, was your thought process like, oh, I'm I'm actually going to pursue acting. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I loved acting and I love acting. I mean... To me, if you were to ask me what my favorite part of the arts is, whether it's mm -hmm. stand up or podcasting or, you know, or singing, or I would have to say acting, you know, I'm an actor first and foremost, when I go on tour and I sell tickets, it's not because of my Netflix special. It's not because my Comedy Central special. It's because I starred in all these movies. Mm -hmm. And also the MTV stuff doesn't didn't help either because the show kind of connected me with America in a way mm -hmm. that no one else did. There was a connection that I had with the audience that no one else did. Mm -hmm. And it's to this day, I mean, people still feel like I'm that guy, you know, yo, what's up, bro? Because when I talked into the camera, I treated the cameras as my my homie, my buddy. Yo, come here, you guys, let's check this out. You know, also you were, you were, you were out on the streets with them every day. It's part of your show. I mean, you were really touching yeah. the audience every day in, in the flesh. Yeah. You know, if you look at the old totally polys, it was the beginning of that, that whole genre of, yep. you know, of reality, but it was kind of like a combo. Like Doug said, I was on the streets. I mean, we did a thing first. It was just around, it was around LA. It was in the streets of LA. And then, and then I came to Doug and, and Joel Gallon. I said, Hey, we should get me out to America. And then uh, that's when we did the 10 Reasons to Sponge, which was a contest where people wrote in 10 reasons why I should come sponge off of them. And they would write in and, you know, they would have a letter and it would say like, oh, my name is Cammie and please come to my house because, you know, there's this cool pizza parlor or, you know, I have a bowling alley and I would literally show up. And Paul Cockrell and Carol Donovan and Greg Johnson were great producers. And we just did it. And it was just, you know, and that's Tony DeSantis. Tony would produce like uh, he'd produce out in New York when I came to New York. What did you, what did you call Tony? You had a nickname for him. I'm trying to remember what it was. Fat bastard. <laughs> That's true. Fat bastard. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. In terms of your your weasel persona, the whole the whole vibe you had going, where did that come from? Where did that idea originate? I kind of talk about that old Reese's peanut butter commercial where you kind of put the peanut butter with the fucking chocolate and you eat it and somehow it just it just happened. It was kind of a natural thing. My friends would call me the weasel. And then I always said, well, if a weasel could make a noise, what would the weasel noise sound like? And I'll be like, you know, I came up with that noise. <laughs> and then and then I, I think the first I think the first word that I paused was major. Mm. So for instance, like I say, check out the video. It's going to be major. And then from there, I just started pausing in between grind, ditch, body. And I just started, and it just was this cadence that I created, I think, on the air. It was, it didn't, it wasn't manufactured. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, in like Pee Wee Herman where, you know, or it's Paul Rubens where it's like, oh, I'm Paul Rubens over here. And then now there's this character over here. It's something right. that just kind of, I started wearing my mom's clothes and I put a scarf on my head like Steven Tyler. And I'm like, those boots look cool. And it just, and I, I'm going to paint my Jeep purple. You know what I mean? It just kind of happened. Oh, here's my headshot. Check me out. I'm an actor. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why you really connected with the audience. A, you were probably the same age mm. and, and also it felt authentic like it didn't feel like a character Mm -hmm. it felt or even an extension it felt like this is who this guy is at least at that moment and it really i mean you know look you know if if you were there in the early 90s you saw this you would you would remember how uh in what a big way paulie shore connected with the mtv audience and ultimately all of america through feature films and other things now here i am sitting in my multi-million dollar house no i'm just kidding (laughs) and i'm I'm in my closet paulie so that's well (laughs) you should have taken some ownership in my shows 
There you go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> fucking Ro- fucking Rotenberg, dude. Where's that guy? Crisco. Where's Crisco? Crisco. Um, let's go back. I'm trying to actually remember how you ended up on MTV. Now tell me if this tracks. What I remember was you showing up at spring break, a woman named Drew Wilson, who was an MTV talent coordinator, who was a very she was the first person that ever said to me, Paul is sure. And I remember, I think she flew you down at Daytona, if I'm not mistaken, to put you on during spring break. Is that is that how it started? Yeah, what, what happened was, is my manager brought in Drew. I guess she had heard about me through Hollywood. You know, Hollywood's a small town. So, like, they were starting to hear about, like, who's this kid, da, 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 da. So she had seen me at the comedy store. I showcased for her. And then after... She's like, yo, you want to come to spring break for MTV? And I was like, yeah, I would love to. I'd be honored. That'd be beautiful. So then, yeah, three, four months later, she flies me down there and I wind up sharing a hotel room with Christian Slater. Because <laughs> he's down there promoting Gleaming the Cube. Remember nice. Gleaming the Cube? And of course, we're too cheap to get everybody their own hotel room. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that's, so that, come on guys, making them bunk up. That's ridiculous. Anyway, sorry. No, it was cool. I remember Adam Sandler sharing a room with Mario Joyner next to me one year. Yeah. Like, you know, again, we just, you know, it's just how it we, was fun we though. It was cool. We didn't care. No one cared. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. So that was the first time. Yes. Was in, I think it was 1989. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember we were kind of, I, I would say, honestly, sort of mildly interested. And then what happened again, tell me if this tracks, we did a, we did a comedy concert out in Pepperdine where we, mm. you know, we had been doing the half hour comedy hour, which was a big hit on MTV. It's like, well, let's just do a comedy concert like HBO. And we took like five comedians we liked and we, you know, they're all going to give them like 15 minutes. But you opened up, you were the warm up mm. and you got out there and warmed up the crowd. And Joel Gallen, who uh, now, you know, longtime uh, VMA producer and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all the big shows, uh, MTV's Unplugged. He came back, he shot the show and directed it. And he came back and he said, you need to look at this. Paulie Shore was the warm-up guy, and he killed, and nobody was funnier after that. And yeah. do, you, do you remember that night? I remember it, yeah. And that was, I think, when we all took a look at that tape of you just warming up the crowd, and everybody's like, well, maybe this guy should have his own show. Yeah, yeah. So that that's exactly what happened. So you guys said to me, you said, yo, we want you to host this show called Five Funny Guys. And I said, well, that's great. And then you said, well, here's the thing. You're not one of the five funny guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you can host it and you can keep the tape. I'm like, fuck you. Let's go. <laughs> so I was like, let's go. And then we did it and it went well. And then from there, I started guest VJing that's late right. at night. Whenever you said, you go, yo, Nick, you told Rotenberg, anytime I come to town, you can, you're welcome to guest VJ. And then after that, we did those vignettes, those 30-second vignettes, which was uh, where I play a gangster, a real estate agent, and a football player. And it was kind of like my version of Randy the Redwoods. Remember? Right, right. Yeah, sure. And it's at the end, it's a totally MTV. And then uh, there were like 30-second vignettes that we shot on film. And then from there, those started airing in rotation. And then after that, you guys offered me uh, a three-month kind of trial run. Can you remember any particular guests or interactions you had with people that that just were worked really well that stand out in your mind i mean the richard Pryor fucking interview was pretty cool you know what i mean i was able to get to him because of my relationship with him and through my mom in the store 
Mm-hmm. So I got him right before he started getting sick. Mm-hmm. So I was able to like literally film like a whole week with him, you know, almost 35 segments. Wow. Wow. I was, yeah, I was like, cause that's how we filmed it. We would, uh, would bang out 35 seconds segments in one day. And then I would switch my wardrobe. But, um, you know, there was, <laughs> you know, there was flea from the chili peppers. There was Keanu Reeves. There was, I don't know, uh, you know, Alice Cooper, that shit was classic. There mm-hmm. was the guys from Warrant. That was really cool. Yeah, you were you were also in, on NPV during like the hairband era. And you kind of had a, you sort of like, yeah. sort of were running sort of parallel to what those guys were doing in a certain way. Did you feel like like yeah. a heavy metal star at the time? I think it was a combo. It was a combo of that and then grunge. I think the cool part about me is when the grunge came, you guys kept me on the air, which was kind of cool. Because that was a big, you know, that was a big that was a big shift yeah you had to go to the plaid shirts though after that no more your mother's blouses yeah but yeah it was a it was a you know but i grew up on the sunset strip so i was i guess more heavy metal because you know as a kid my mom would always drive we would drive by the rainbow right on sunset to go home to doheny and sunset and we'd always drive by you know all the heavy metal kids with you know they all look like they all gazaris gazaris yes gazaris and in that area, you know, so I was very influenced by, you know, the strip, you know, and that's fine. I'm wondering, there's a, there's a clip of you interviewing a very, very, very young Bruno Mars that has Mm. gotten like new life on the internet. Do you remember Mm. that conversation at all? I do. He was so, he was like five or something. Oh, really? And you could just see already he had so much talent. It's kind of crazy. Well, what happened on that one, it was either Tony DeSanto or Bobby Moore, whoever was producing my Chilling with the Wee's show or whatever I was fucking filming down there. I had just finished rapping and they basically said, yo, you got to meet this kid. He does a perfect Elvis Presley impersonation. And I'm like, awesome. Let me meet him. And then we just filmed right there. I just said, roll, let's start rolling. And then he started doing Elvis Presley and he started kind of doing moonwalks like michael jackson and that never aired that was just for Mm. like you know just for you know mtv's kind of like you know just because the camera was right there but it was mostly like once he started doing that i'm like we got to roll on this guy and then obviously find out later as bruno mars yeah crazy yeah it's very cute. If you've never seen that clip, go look it up on YouTube. Yeah, I go find that now. <laughs> so you're this kid is growing up in the, you know, around this comedy club. You decide to make it a career. You mm. get going, you get on MTV, you get acting gigs. Then the next thing you know, you're doing feature films. So success mm. came pretty, pretty big and pretty quick at you. Yeah. How did that impact you? At, at, you know, which was, I think, I mean, how old were you when you were making those movies? You're still in your early in 20s, 20s, right? Yeah. 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 My 20s. Yeah. My, all my 20s. You know, again, I talk about it on my one man show. I felt like Charlie from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I truly felt like, you know, I got the golden ticket. I mean, being on MTV and then, and then going into these films, I was, you know, that's why I was like, I was on, on Joe Rogan. I don't know. I was a year or two. I don't know. It was a while back. And I and I'll say this to you guys, you know, when I see my movies, I kind of get sad. And he's like, why do you get sad? I'm like, because that was like the happiest time in my life. And like, you're not happy now. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy. There's happy times. But at that time, I mean, dude, it was like fucking, you know what I mean? In your 20s, you know, and you're starring in movies and and you're on tour and you're doing HBO and you're doing albums. And I was doing all these things that no one else was doing. 
and it was it was I was in heaven so yeah mm -hmm. I was like it was the most beautiful time and my mom was there and she accepted me because a lot of you know the pressure was put on me to make it because I was Mitzi's kid so I, I you know I can't embarrass her so I was like this you know like this to to try to make it and then once I made it then all of a sudden my mom's like oh I'm so proud of you da 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 you know so yeah so it was it was a special time you know it was a very special time that's a big burden to carry around the expectation of you know being Mitzi's kid when you first decided to jump on stage did you do it at the mm -hmm. comedy store or did you go someplace else did you feel like or or you know how how, how did that work because that that feels like a big decision to me no I stayed away for two years at least. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked the Laugh Factory, I worked LA Cabaret, I went to Catch a Rising Star. I worked everywhere else but the comedy store. And then when mm -hmm. I showcased for her, that's the name of my my play. It's called Stick with the Dancing. So when I showcased for her, she's sitting in between Paul Mooney and, and Louis Anderson. And she's got her line up there and she's like, who's next? And Paul Mooney's like, um, uh, Paul is next. She's like, oh, fuck, give me a cigarette. <laughs> So then I do my show and then I, you know, I do the jokes that the other comedians wrote for me. And then, um, and then I end with pop locking. And then I said, how did I do? She said, stick with the dancing. <laughs> That's what she said. Hence the, hence the title of your show. Yeah. Hence the title of my show. So yeah. So then the tension built and then I started hanging out with Sam Kennison a lot and Ronnie Dangerfield and I got my own place at 19 years old and that's when i started acting you know at 19 i started landing roles a lot of roles guest leads on this boom 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 i started making my own money and then mtv hit and and then eventually she was like all right you can come back in the house now you know what i mean It's just a side note to the acting. When you were doing those acting roles, were you like, did you have like a different look? Was it like a more sort of conventional look than the one we would know you from today? Correct. It's like shorter mm -hmm. hair and collared shirts and like. Uh, I was just, I still dressed the same way, but this was pre-Wheeze. You know, yeah. this is before the Wheeze was de even developed, you know. I mean, you got to understand something from 17, 18, 19, 20. I mean, it took me five years to like hit. Right. So that's pretty quick. That's very mm -hmm. quick. That's quick. Especially for somebody so young. Yeah, that's quick. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's good. It's good and bad because, you know, it's good because I was able to experience, but it was bad because I didn't get to develop. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Didn't get to develop right. slower the way the normal person. I mean, Jon Stewart, when I was on MTV, he wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't anything, but he he wasn't. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he yeah he he wasn't John Stewart yet. No, he was trying to figure it out. His show, his MTV show, didn't come on till after yours, right? Correct. Yeah. And it just wasn't that good. It was just kind of like it wasn't his voice. And until you put him on the Daily Show on Comedy Central, he became fucking massive. And I'm like, wow, like I guess he's into politics because he wasn't. <laughs> He wasn't into that shit when we were fucking around. No, no. I mean, the John Stewart show, you know, I think he was trying to do his MTV version of Letterman back then. And it was not political right. at all. No, it was just a goofy show. Yeah. So, I mean, Polly, if you if you could go back, would you do anything differently during that era than what you did? 
I mean, my come from is, is I love to work. You know, I don't come in anything going, oh, you know, I don't, at least back then I'm like, oh, if I do this and it's going to fuck up that, you know, I didn't think like that. I was just so joyful and so excited to star in movies and to do stuff. So I wasn't really coming from a, a place of strategy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if I was thinking straighter, I would probably not have done a lot of the things that I've done. I did. But at the time when I did it, that's kind of how I felt. You know, mm-hmm. the jury duty was like not a, it wasn't a hit for me or Biodome wasn't a hit for me at the time. You know, you could say they're a hit now, which they are. You know, they're like these cult classics. Classics, yeah. Yeah, but at the time, they didn't perform. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was so overpopular, or what's it called? Over saturated saturated that like enough of this guy already i was becoming punchlines on people's shows so the to answer your question is like the smarter thing to have done is probably stopped after son-in-law and just taken a break and kind of like start to while my stock was high play the game more but again young guy millions of dollars they're offering me hey you know what we'll make it work this is a funny idea you know let's all figure this out and unfortunately, that shit sometimes doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It's hard to see, you know, you're you're so enveloped by it. It's hard to see where it all goes and how it goes. And but that being said, you know, a lot of the projects you have been doing over the last couple of years, including the one man show you have referenced a couple of times, are pretty self-reflective. So can you talk about that a little bit? Is is this a form of like, you know, kind of coming to terms with where you've been and what you've done? Or how, how do you look at that stuff? Well, I'm very self, I'm very self-aware. I've always been very self-aware of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think, why I did Pauly Shore is Dead, which to me is, was the best movie that I've ever done because it was so therapeutic. And, you know, everyone was in it from Sean Penn. I mean, I don't want to go down the list, but, it was the beginning. It was be, it was Curb before Curb. Mm. You know, Polly Shore is dead. If you haven't seen this, it's like what the fuck. You know, it's it's pretty remarkable what I pulled off. So I was very you know when 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 you know I fired Rotenberg and CAA and Bennett and all those guys and and I kind of spit myself out on the street. I did that kind of in a way because I just didn't feel joy anymore. I just felt like I was turning thirty. You know what I mean? And I was like, I, 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 I was burnt out. And then I went to my, I went to group therapy and self-help and, and all these things to kind of just try to let go of everything that I had been through. So I can move forward at 30. And once I got through that, I was able to kind of smile at the wheeze and smile at what I did. And that's where I wrote Polly Shore is Dead. And to me, Polly Shore is Dead was the beginning part of the second part of my career. So like Doug said, you know, all the stuff I've been doing the last 20 years, you know, it's all kind of self, you know, whether it's adopted, you know, whether it's Vegas is my oyster or Polly, all these projects that I did for Showtime or, or different specials, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do those, I don't think, if I didn't spit myself on the street. But if I would have stayed with Rotenberg, I could have been Howie Mandel. You know what I mean? And Howie's had a great career. You know, here's a guy that's hasn't stopped working since Deal or No Deal. Yeah, you know, I mean he, that. Yeah, it, that's great. But it's a different. It's a different path for everybody. And that, you know yeah. what I would say, Paulie is a guy who's known you a long time, mm-hmm. and you know, and I knows know I know the story. 
And, you know, to hear how you talk about it and, you know, realizing that you needed to kind of, as you say, spit yourself onto the streets and figure it out. You feel to me like in 2022, as a guy who's really comfortable with who he is, what he does, how he does it, I think that's a good place to be, whoever you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. No, I'm, yeah, no, I, I know. It, again, going back to, you know, I love to work and thank God for the internet. I can create my own stuff now. Mm-hmm. We can all create our own stuff. You know, you don't need anyone to do what you guys are doing. So I'm all right. Yeah, I think the internet has been really cool for you as a guy who's always been kind of really in touch with his audience going back to the MTV mm-hmm. days where you on the streets with them. Because I see, I follow you on Twitter and I see, you know, I see how, the, I see the back and forth. And I just think it's like, I think that's a great thing for Paulie Shore. Like you, you're still literally in touch with your fans every day who want to be in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know what, you know, being 54 and, and, and all this death around me, you, everyone in our mm-hmm. age, the end of the day, I talk to comedians every day, every day someone dies. I mean, you know, these comics with Gallagher and Judy Tenuta and, and, you know, and you just go down the list, like this is life, Doug, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's quick. You know, all of a sudden we're older and, and it's just a fast a fast thing so you know you definitely want to look for me i want to try to look about what i have not what i don't have and you know your health is the most important thing i yep. think sounds corny but you know fuck but but I, but I mean, all of them gilbert bob saget you know mm. norm like all of them I'm, i promise you they all wish they go on stage tonight every one of them mm. every one of yeah. them yeah so. i mean are there are there things that you still want to do that you haven't done yet or is there a particular project that you're working on that you're trying to get off the ground that that's kind of really motivating you right now yeah i'm doing i'm doing you know as this business you always do several things at once right so the one man show is important to me it's very exhausting but it's therapeutic and people really are seem to be responding to it so i'm, I'm working on that also a memoir i've been working on that for a while so i'm gonna self-publish that and put that out there and then also I'm making a deal with Adam Sandler's company right now for a scripted version of my show, which is oh, wow. kind of like, uh, yeah, which is like everybody hates Chris or the wonder years. So it's, uh, going to cast a poly in their, um, you know, poly like in their four from 14 to 18. And I would kind of do the VO do the voiceover. So it'd be, you know, poly going around Beverly Hills high school and then back at the comedy store. And, but like kind of really harsh and kind of like, uh, edgy, mm-hmm. like it was, so I'm I'm happy working with Adam on that. We're going to wrap up here with our our traditional final question, which is other than your own show, Totally Polly, and any other mm-hmm. associated shows you've done, what is your all-time favorite basic cable show? Mm. My all-time favorite basic cable on MTV? Let's well, go no, with MTV. Sure, sure. What's your favorite MTV show? Let's keep it. We'll get Wait, it. Okay, Simple. the cable show. I mean, I love the Chris Rock show. That was fucking awesome on HBO. Well, oh yeah, sure. Sure, that's premium cable. Forgot about that. That's a good poll. Remember, he was that was such a good show when he had those hot short-lived talk show. Yeah, he had the high chairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He would come out and he would do that. But you know, probably Chappelle. That was obviously great. But um, yeah. I'd have to say my favorite cable shit. Let me see. Uh, we'll, we'll 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 take Chris Rock or Chappelle. Yeah, Chris Rock or Chappelle. Yeah. All right. 
Well, Paulie, we appreciate you being here. It's great to see you. Um, everybody yeah. should uh, check out. Uh, first of all, go on YouTube, check out Bruno Mars. Uh, but <laughs> but also if also go find Paulie Shore is dead, which is a great watch. And if you get the chance, uh, go check out his one man show. Are you going to tour that at some point? I've been touring it. Yeah, I've been yeah. touring it. So I'll be at the comedy store. Yeah, I'll be at the comedy store November thirtieth. I also have a band. I joined a band, oh, wow. which is pretty funny. It's called Polly and the Crusties. And it's basically <laughs> me with these senior citizens playing behind me. And it's actually really fun. It's on YouTube. And then I also have my uh my podcast that I just started with Jam in the Van, which is uh-huh. a great, which is a really great YouTube channel. Which is just, it really reminds me, Doug, of old how MTV started, you know, or Funny or Die, where it started before it popped, you know? Right. And it's just all music. And it's such me just interviewing musicians. That's great. And oh, cool. it's, um, it's really cool. So it's on Jam in the Van, and you can see me interview just musicians. And it's cool. Pretty cool. Well, you can check Paulie Shore out almost everywhere these days. Thank you, Paulie. We appreciate it. And it's great to see you, buddy. Later. We so. Bye. Thank you, Polly. All right. Polly Shore, the wheeze was here. How did that go for you, Jen? You know, I one of the things that struck me about that conversation is, you know, a lot of times people assume that if you have relatives in show business, parents, what have you, that you already are at an advantage and it's it's just going to make everything easier for you. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about the flip side of that, which is, yeah, he obviously was exposed to Richard Pryor and Robin Williams and all these great comedians. But there was this sense of like, if I get out there and start trying to do, to be a comic, to be an actor, and I screw up, it's going to be a huge embarrassment for my mother. And so that that's a different kind of pressure that I think a lot of times people just think, oh, you're a Nepo baby. Everything works out for you. And I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think it is for sure. A real, it's a real burden to a certain extent. And also in the business he was in, his mom theoretically, you know, could do things for him. But at the end of the day, he's going to get up on stage and win over an audience. Right. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And he ultimately did that. I can remember, you know, we we talked a little bit about this. I remember when he came to to spring break and this woman was very much to her credit, uh, Drew Wilson, who was an MTV talent executive. Fun fact, she was also uh, Johnny Carson's assistant. Oh. Um, so she'd kind of grown up around the Tonight Show. She had a great eye for comedians, honestly. She was the first person to all, she was the first person ever to say Jerry Seinfeld to me. Mm. Um, g- g- like early 90s, late 80s, can't remember, certainly pre the show. Anyway, she brought Paulie down and everybody was kind of rolling their eyes. You know, it was like, oh, he's somebody's kid. And Drew mm-hmm. was pushing him pretty hard. And it, and it really wasn't until that following thing that we talked about where he actually got up in front of an audience and killed, where mm-hmm. we all started to sit up and pay attention. And then everything didn't really matter. It's like, wow, this guy can get in front of an audience and he's got something and they seem to respond and, and maybe we should be in business with him. Yeah. And I was thinking too, when, uh, when you guys were talking about just his persona on camera, on MTV, on Totally Polly, and like on one hand, it was a persona, on one hand, it kind of wasn't because it felt like him. And I think he was just very natural on camera. Like he was saying, he he just pretended like he was talking to people. And you really did, even if you weren't conscious of it, when you watch him, you do feel that. Like he just, he kind of, it felt like he was talking to you personally. I think that's right. He, he really had uh, a great way in front of the camera and with his audience. And, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't 
too scripted or hardly scripted at all. So he was allowed to be himself and he was, and it, and it just, it was one of those things that worked. you know, you can never predict these things. And it was a, it was a time, it was a place. He was the right guy at the right time on MTV. You know, he had a little bit of that heavy metal thing, you know, he had a little bit of the, the surfer dude thing. He was funny and he, I don't know, he just tied it all together. He was, mm-hmm. again, it's hard to imagine what a big star Paulie Shore was in the early 90s, but big enough to star in five feature films. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's great that he's still, you know, so active, so engaged, doing a lot of different things. And from what he said, clearly wants to get back into acting and maybe even some serious acting, which uh, may sound weird to some people, but I, you know, I really would be interested to see him in a movie with Nick Cage. I, you know, I would, I would too. And it wasn't until doing uh, research for this that I realized how much acting he had done previously. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then to hear him talk about, you know, how important that was to him and how that's what he kind of really wanted to do. So I'd, I'd be curious to see him in a role. And I, and I really sort of appreciate the stuff he's doing now, which is, you know, sort of very self-aware, you know, very kind of reflective. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I think he's in a in a good place. He knows who he is. He knows who the audience is. They still want to see him, um, which I think is great. And uh, he's still out there doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good conversation. I'm glad we had him on. Yeah, me too. So some quality time with the Wheeze. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you'll join us next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Sound design and music by Jerry Danielson. Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher. Recorded and edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.